0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. All three of the readings for this weekend speak to us about divine mercy. They speak to us about how overwhelming God's mercy is for us. Now, this is found across the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, all through the Bible we see how great God's forgiveness and mercy is. And yet, at the same time, we can find an equal amount of passages in the Bible that speaks to us about God's great demand for us. God's demand that we follow his laws and his teaching. Essentially, it's summed up in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Remember how it ends? Jesus says, be perfect as your father is perfect. Well, that's the moral demand that God has for us. You know, it reminds me of Mother Teresa. She would always tell her nuns, no saint is a saint by halves. What she meant by that is that you're a saint all the way. You, know, you can't hold anything back. Well, the same thing holds true for us. That's God's moral demand for us. We should hold nothing back in our faith. Essentially, we should live it out to the best of our abilities every day of our life. And so that begs the question, how do we balance both? God's infinite mercy with God's infinite demands? Sadly, we make a choice. We turn it into a zero-sum game. In other words, the more we emphasize God's mercy, the less we emphasize God's demands upon us, and vice versa. I'll give you a great example of this. Just look at our church. Vatican II occurred in the late 60s. And yet prior to that, in the 50s, 40s, 30s, if you talk to people that lived during that era, they would tell you the church stressed God's moral demands, such that you had to go to confession every Saturday morning in order to be able to go to Mass Sunday the next day. So every Saturday morning, you went to church and you'd find lines and lines of people waiting to go to confession because they wanted to go to mass the next day on sunday well after vatican ii the pendulum swung the other way now the church emphasized god's great mercy and forgiveness and therefore now the confessionals are all empty well the problem with this is if we emphasize one we negate the other worse yet we get this skewed view of god If we really emphasize God's mercy all the time, essentially we view God as some sort of sugar daddy. He essentially pats us on the head, says to us, I love you and you love me, now do whatever you want. There's no moral demands. On the other hand, if we emphasize the moral demands, we end up viewing God possibly as a tyrant. It's constantly brooding over us. You know, waiting to pounce on her every mistake. Well, neither one is a healthy biblical perspective of God. What's the solution? That God is infinite. Everything about God is infinite. His mercy, his demands, and his love for us. We can't say God is a little merciful or a little kind. Well, then God's not infinite. At the same time, we can't say God is a little demanding. Again, he's not infinite. God is infinite. And here lies the lesson for all three of the readings. God calls us to the virtuous life. That's the demands he has upon us. He calls us to the virtuous life, which means patience, prudence, kindness, forgiveness, charity for others. At the same time, he showers his mercy and his forgiveness upon us when we are challenged to live out that virtuous life. You see, now both are compatible with each other. God's forgiveness is compatible with God's demands. In fact, they build upon each other. They're not mutually exclusive. Now, with that in mind, look at the images of God in the gospel. Notice how it begins. It says, Tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to listen to Jesus. We have to understand, Jesus lived in a very divided society, and not just economically or politically, but also religiously. Part of what it meant to be a good and righteous Jew during Jesus' time was essentially to set you apart yourself from those people that were not righteous Jews If you followed the law of God, the Torah, then you kept your distance from those people that didn't. You didn't mix with those people. You didn't want anything to do with those people. What does Jesus do? He breaks down those divisions, as we see in the gospel. Jesus comes with great mercy to seek us out because we're sinners. Remember what he said in Matthew's gospel, I've come not for the righteous, but for the sick and the sinners. We have to realize God runs after us as sinners. We can't think of God as some distant figure off in the galaxy waiting for us to find him. Or maybe if we go crawling to God begging for forgiveness, he just might have mercy upon us. Well, that's not the right biblical image of God. God comes to us and he seeks us out. And that's proven in the parables that we hear today. Wherever we go, God will follow. He never gives up. The more we run, the more he runs after us. The more we hide, the more he looks and searches for us. God loves us. He loves sinners. Again, that's seen in this gospel. Notice the next passage. It says, Jesus ate with them. Well, when we eat, We share our meal with who? Family and friends, right? And it's not just the food that we share. We share our life with those people when we sit down for a meal. We share our thoughts and our feelings and our plans and our ideas. See, that's the way God relates to us. He wants to share his life with us. Now, with that in mind, let's go to these two parables that Jesus gives us. The first one, Jesus says, Who among you have a hundred sheep and losing one will leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost? Well, Jesus, remember, his audience are farmers, peasants, shepherds. You know, they know this world of shepherding. And so, go back to that question. Who among you would leave the ninety-nine? Well, the proper response, no one. You know, the shepherd basically upon hearing Jesus with this parable was scratching his head. You know, for a shepherd, we have to realize that flock wasn't just some little hobby he spent time with a couple hours a day. That flock was his entire livelihood. It meant everything to that shepherd. So he would do anything to protect those sheep. Now, if you were a shepherd and you look back and you started counting your sheep and you found out one was missing would you really risk leaving those 99 exposed to danger well what type of danger thieves could rock, could take them wild animals could kill them or those sheep would just simply wander off no self-respecting shepherd would risk the 99 and yet that's what god is like in regard to us as sinners who wanders off away from God and the church. Now, is this over the top and overwhelming? Yes, but this is how God is. He risks everything for us, even just to find one sinner that has wandered away. See, that's a powerful image of God and what God is and what God do will do for us all. Now, turn to that second parable. It says, What woman, having ten coins and losing one, would light a lamp and sweep the house? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors and celebrates. Well, let's get the first thing straight. She has ten coins. See, she loses only just one, and yet she turns the whole house upside down for just that one coin. That seems a little extreme, but it doesn't stop there. Once she finds that coin, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and has a party. Now, c- can you imagine? You are one of those people who have received an invitation to come over to this woman's house and to celebrate. Celebrate what? Her finding one coin. Well, practically speaking, it's very odd. In fact, downright strange. Now, when you think about it, the cost of having that party is a lot more than the coin and what it's worth. And so it's very odd. And yet that's the point. That's how God seeks us out. How God runs after us with great mercy and love. One last thing. Ironic enough, here in the scriptures, we see a person that embodies not only God's mercy, but also God's demands. Turn to that second reading from Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul tells us his entire life story. He says, I was the worst of all sinners. I persecuted the church. I arrested Christians. I put them in prison. I even presided over Christians and their executions. For example, St. Stephen. Paul says, I was an enemy of God. Now, what's interesting is, is Paul didn't convert first, and then God changed him for the better by showing him his mercy. No, just the opposite. First, God entered into Paul's life and turned it upside down. And in doing so, Paul saw God's mercy, but he also saw God's demand, a calling to the virtuous life. And therefore, Paul radically changed his life. And now became the greatest champion of our church. And yet, God sought Paul out. It's God who took the initiative. God was in the active mode. You could say, God remade Paul from within. And see, that's the way God works. And so, the message for us this weekend, from all three scripture readings, is pretty powerful. It talks about God's mercy, but also about God's demands. They go hand-in-hand hand with each other. In fact, they're deliberately compatible. They build upon each other. God's demand is that he calls us to the virtuous life, to practice patience, prudence, kindness, charity, forgiveness to others in this world. And in the, also, in the, at the same time, he showers us with his mercy and forgiveness during those times in which we're challenged to live out that call of the virtuous life. Friends, that isn't good news, that is great news. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.